All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Transfer Nation Transfer Center series. This multiple episode series will focus on university and four-year institution transfer centers. We will chat with transfer center directors to learn about the origin stories, the advocacy, and the structure behind each center as well as learn a little bit about the nuts and bolts of developing centers that work for the communities specific to each institution. We will cover transfer centers from a variety of institutions and perspectives on transfer success. If you are a transfer center director and want to record an episode on your unique transfer center story, please reach out. Email the podcast team at wearetransfernation at gmail.com. And if you have follow-up questions for any of the guests you hear in this series, just use the hashtag TNTalks on Twitter to continue the conversation. Oh, and don't fret. In April, we will be covering community college transfer centers for Community College Month. Woohoo! All right, y'all, please enjoy in Transfer Pride. Welcome to the Transfer Nation Videocasts and Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Heather Adams, Senior Program Manager of Transfer Initiatives at the Aspen Institute's College Excellence Program. Transfer Nation aims to create a network and community of educators who work with and advocate for transfer and post-traditional college students. Our mission is to build community, transform culture, and empower success for transfer educators and students by sharing resources and celebrating all things transfer. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Transfer Nation Talks. Yay, we are in the middle of our Transfer Center series on four-year institution transfer centers. And we are here with Transfer Center Director from Central Washington University, Megan McConnell. Mm? Whoop, whoop. <laughs> yeah, that's the way to do it. Whoop, whoop. And we are going to learn from her about Central Washington's Transfer Student Center, how it came to be, what's going on there now, how they fared through COVID, and where they're going next. So I'm really excited to have Megan here. She's amazing if you don't know her. Um, so connect with her after this episode if you want to learn more. But we're going to dive right in. And Megan, I, I want to start just with who you are and what you're all about and how you came to transfer work. So I'm a failed academic. Um, I dropped out of a PhD program uh, in political science at the University of Washington, where I had the opportunity um, to really do what I think so many people, it would be lovely if everyone got the chance to do it. I was teaching my own class. I was teaching mass media and American politics in the morning, probably say 305 at UW. And in the afternoon to support myself and, and feed, uh, feed me and my dogs, um, I was working as an advisor um, in the sort of the pre-major advising center at the University of Washington. I had the chance to do that side by side and discovered that I really liked working one-on-one as an academic advisor better than I liked teaching. Um, as, for as much as I knew that my heart was in the right place in both of those situations to help students, 
they knew I was helping them when I was advising them. Whereas when I was giving them B's and C's on their papers when they wanted A's, they didn't always feel that help. I, um, I was at the University of Washington for many, many years in advising, almost 20 years there. And in the latter decade or so had really migrated to responsibilities that were exclusively around transfer. So we had a transfer newsletter that went out quarterly to um, students and our community college partners. We um, held a transfer, like a conference once a year to, to connect with um, fellow staff and faculty. And then every Thursday, we had a Transfer Thursday event, and I maintained that website and kept in contact with everyone. So the transfer, um, you know, just really fell in love with that population at that point in time and feel fortunate to work in a, in a state that has been very progressive, I think, in transfer issues. We've got a 50-year history going back between the two and four years in the state of Washington looking at how do we best use state resources to minimize inefficiencies and best help us get to our statewide goal, which is that 70% of our inhabitants have a post-secondary credential. So yeah, that happened. And then uh, I moved over to CW. Very honestly, I grew up here in uh, little town Ellensburg in the middle of the state of Washington and wanted to be um, out of the traffic and the rain and be near my, my parents. And so I came here and found along the way a love of this institution is, an, is really an access institution. You know, a huge percentage of our students are first gen, low income, Pell eligible. Um, we are um, within the next few years, we're, we're really an emerging HSI and feeling as though this institution speaks to some of the, the personal goals that I have in sort of manifesting in my professional career about making a difference uh, for folks. So, um, so that's me. That's how I came to be here. And um, very, this job I feel like was created for me, even though it wasn't created for me. So I'm delighted to be here. Well, maybe it was created for you. Let's find out. So that was great uh, personal context and actually state context. Thank you for setting the stage of where we are and uh, how transfer is really prioritized in Washington. So talk to us a little bit about Central Washington University itself. You said very access prioritized um, institution. What is the undergraduate student body and transfer size and where were they in the process of transfer services when you came into the picture? The university, God, how many students do we have in a post-COVID landscape? I don't like, do any of us really know what the trajectory is looking like? But, uh, you know, at our high points, we're around 12,000 students. Um, I would, yeah, at our high points, I would say maybe around 10,000 and 40% of those students are transfer students. So we've got a very large percentage of transfer students. Um, the Ellensburg campus has been here since 1891, started as a normal school. Um, so, you know, a strong focus on education. But in the 70s, um, leadership decided to help build um, centers around the state. So our, some of our centers go back you know, decades now, and some of our centers are newer, but we have a total of eight centers and sites around the state and the populations at those centers and sites are almost exclusively transfer, right? So they're co-located with a community college. That population is almost exclusively transfer. I say that as almost because we have a, we have a center in Sammamish, which is on the, the high tech east side corridor of um, Seattle. So the, think Microsoft, think Google and that sort of thing. And um, the, our Sammamish campus has a lot of running start students. Um, so that is a college and a high school program here in the state of Washington. 
Washington, a dual credit um, program. That makes a lot of sense. So I would imagine then a lot, would you consider yourself sort of a rural institution of where you are? How does that work if you're not a Washingtonian, Washingtonian, Washington? So, so Ellensburg is, is definitely farm country. Um, and uh, our largest export here is hay. Uh, but we also, um, our other rural locations are in Yakima, Wenatchee, and Moses Lake. And then on the western side of the state, we are not in the downtown Seattle area, but we are both north and south south of Seattle in what I consider, I mean, what are, you know, urban, urban, urban sprawl environments. So, so the bedroom communities over there, actually, when you look demographically at our student population, we have, there's some real differences, even at the centers and each center, we need to think about differentiation, what the challenges are for students there, how to serve. And then we have our, we have a lot of online programs as well. We're a large presence in the state of Washington in terms of our online degrees. And so those students could be anywhere. In fact, some of them are international. And then, yes, you had asked, Oh, about where we were in the sort of the transfer process. I am lucky that there was, I, I, you and I have chatted before about my, my happy binder that I inherited when I started the job. There was a university-wide committee that was established to look into creating a transfer center. And we hired uh, consultants from the University of Central Florida, who is uh, Charlene Stenard, who's seen as a real expert in transfer. I would say that it was marshaled into existence by a few key individuals, the associate dean in student success who had been over advising. He's no longer with the institution, but he was really uh, an architect. We had also the an associate provost who was in charge of what we at that point in time called, well, I don't know, the new name is Extended and Global Education, but it was again our centers and, um, and, and working collaboratively with the folks that are at the centers was a big part of the learning curve for me because I had been already on this campus, um, but in an advising role in the College of the Sciences. Got it. So you were really learning kind of about all of the divisions and all of the areas. So this transfer center at CWU is um, is under academic affairs then in terms of divisions or departments? Dean of Student Success. Okay. Dean of Student yep. Success. Great. Because everyone, that's one thing we're, we're learning in this series is just everybody has transfer housed in a different area. But as most transfer center directors know, you have to sort of be able to navigate all of the departments and the divisions and all of the aspects of the institution, including the community outside of the institution, in order to really serve transfer students well. So yes, the um, position description for, for me has me reporting to the associate dean and actually there's been a reorgan student success and now it's the associate dean for access and equity which makes sense to me so my partners are all access and equity folks but the position description says i report to that associate dean but i'm under the direction of that associate dean and the dean for extended and global education so they both provide input to the work that i do got it wow i want to hear more about that on the day today cuz that sounds complex if you don't have the right groups of folks and the right dynamics, talking about it every day and sharing information. Um, so that's a really unique setup. So it sounds like 40% transfer community, you know, incoming students, you've got, it sounded like you had a lot of advocacy at the leadership level. So I know you came in, you were hired as the inaugural director, right? the first director of the program. Dean so of one. 
the team of one. So talk a little bit about the the building, you know, what, how, how did that happen? When did you come in in the process? And if there was advocacy or other kind of unique aspects that that really instigated the process of the building of the center um, that you know about before your time, uh, share that. So I was hired, my first day was February 2nd, 2019. So, um, and we as an institution shut down in response to COVID, I think it was March 17th. So, you know, I was in the role six weeks in person before we were sent home um, for what was then, I didn't, I returned to the office this July, July of 2021. At that point in time, they had already procured a former um, classroom. We'll talk, I know we're going to, you want to, you have some questions about that. A former classroom that had um, been equipped with, they put in um, three cubicles and a front desk and a bank of computers. So some computers for students to use and some, a few comfy chairs. And that was the center at that point in time. I think the smart thing that the university did, there were two really smart things that the university did. One was that dual guidance, but not reporting structure to the um, the Dean of um, Extended and Global Education, because his direct report, um, Lauren Hibbs, who's the executive director of all of our centers, um, became my partner in everything. And I honestly think that the pandemic assisted in that because I already had been an Ellensburg focused person. I already knew the campus, knew the partners in Ellensburg, but because I'd worked in the College of the Sciences, which has very few programs that are offered at our centers, um, I really had sort of not ignored, but ignored the centers. Like, eh, I don't need to know much about them because I don't work with those programs. Uh, we don't have lab space, for example, at most of our centers. So what, what the pandemic meant was that Lauren and I met on a regular basis. And honestly, I just feel so fortunate to say, shout out to Lauren, um, that I've never had the kind of alchemy with a work colleague that I have found in, in her. Like we just, we work really, really well together. And I don't know, you know, what each of the futures of our, our professional careers hold, but I would treasure the, the past two years of working with somebody who challenged me to do better, who finished my sentences, who I could start a PowerPoint and run out of time and she could finish the PowerPoint exactly where I was going. Like it just, it was really, really awesome to have that partnership. So that was smart um, and, and fortuitous with the pandemic that we just met on the equal footing that I would meet with anybody else here in Ellensburg even though she's on our the west side of the state over south of Seattle um, because the pandemic forced it. The second really important thing that I think the university did was that the vice president for enrollment management and the, um, the provost co-charged a transfer experience team. And in the first year, this was, um, it was 28 members, um, everything from orientation to teaching faculty, to associate deans, to say, what is the unique transfer experience at CWU? And honestly, having a 28 member team dive into something like that, right? Like, could I say that our first annual report actually answered that question? No, but we've continued the work. But the other thing that I think it's important in thinking about any sort of change management is, um, 
and what um, another mentor of mine calls collective impact is, is the importance of, of getting data, getting people together on the same data, having a project manager and having some sort of shared conversation on a regular basis about this population or this set of services. And so the very first thing that we had them do at our kickoff meeting was we, um, it was so funny because I hadn't seen the NIST's website where, their, where they developed the different stories. We developed, I think it was six different personas. And we, we divided into small groups uh, among the 28 member team. And we're like, okay, so you are this student. Okay, this student is a parent. She's working full-time. She didn't think she was gonna take an online program, but the pandemic showed her that she could. Um, and she's trying to figure out the following questions. How is she going to pay for this at X, Y, Z? And we had each of these small groups take on one of these personas and we gave them a half an hour to get on our website and figure out if they could answer that student's questions. And of course, you, you know, the answer is, oh, wow. Um, there's no one place that a student can go to get these questions answered. And so that was our first ask was, okay, we're going to build a transfer website, a transfer center website. But but each of us, we don't, we know that students don't enter through what we consider the front door. They don't go to the admissions website. They may not go to the transfer center website. They may Google Washington state biology degrees and end up on our biology department website, right? So please um, go back and we're, we consider you all on the transfer experience team to be transfer ambassadors. Can you, can you talk to your departments about having a transfer pay a transfer tab on your website. What are the frequent questions that transfer students are asking? That were, I think those were two really good foundational things that happened in that first year. Um, I was allowed to hire, I had a, an intern my first quarter who is now um, a graduate student studying higher ed. She was at that point in time wrapping up uh, the 25 years it had taken her to finish her bachelor's degree. Um, and while parenting, uh, she had, has four kids, some of whom are, who are done with college themselves. Um, so she became our, um, our, one of our peer ambassadors. So it went from me to having an intern to having two students. And then this past July, we hired our first transfer outreach and onboarding counselor, who has now made personal contact with every one of the 34 community colleges in the state of Washington. And we have set up visits at all of our co-located colleges plus an additional three feeder schools that are large feeder schools where she goes and spends time either remotely or on campus tabling if that's all they'll let us do initially. But at some colleges, their um, advising center helps us set up like appointment a day of appointments for her. Um, so that we added this year. So we've got now got a graduate assistant, two peer ambassadors and one counselor. So from one to five in almost two years. I am so impressed in y'all like that's I really wanted to get you on uh, and have this conversation and just sit down and delve in because here, you know, a lot of us don't get this opportunity to build a center and to build this culture. And here you've been in the middle of the biggest challenge. I'm going to ask you about challenges and successes next, but this is the biggest challenge anybody could ever have is the pandemic setting in for the last two years. And here you've ha you literally opened the doors of the center um, and have been able to create this, this culture that obviously was building, you know, before you got there in the sense that you've got some great prioritization from the top down and leadership. And you've got a humongous student undergrad student body that I'm sure is involved. And I want to hear about how students were involved in the process as well. 
but you have really been able to just um, kind of take take it by storm and take the opportunity that something like this, um, as sad as it is and as um, kind of tr- problematic as the pandemic has been, to really catapult and catalyze the work that you're doing. So it's just, it's so impressive. And I'm so excited for you um, uh, that you're, you have this, this squad with you at your, at the, at your institution. And I think, I believe we might've done a podcast interview with one of your students, if I'm not mistaken, that you were talking that is, about. That is Angela. Yep. Angela. Yep. And so we're gonna- and someday I'll work for her. Like she's going to make a great, um, a great, uh, like Dean of student success someday. <laughs> She's a transfer badass. I like transfer it. Badass. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, we'll and, make sure. And our, our, she's our social media maven. She has a one of her um, two year degrees was in marketing. Um, so she's yeah, she's been really, really nice. great. I did, I did want to say that what began as in that center with the um, cubicles, which I have to say, I had a really nice office with a window before. So that was the one downside of moving to the transfer center was this classroom is an interior space. Right. So no windows three cubicles in it. But what ended up happening, there was some shuffling of spaces on campus. And we now have a really dedicated lounge over there because we've moved the offices out. So we have a a fridge microwave, we've got a charging station for devices, we have um, a printer set up now. So we invite students to use um, it, a lot of students don't print a lot of things these days, but we at least encourage them like come on the first day of the quarter, come eat some donuts, print your syllabi, um, you know, use our computers. And so we have students who definitely stop by throughout the day um, to hop on the computers that are there, print something. Um, we have puzzles and games. Um, we have not yet done it, but one of Angela's charges this year is to really serve our neo-traditional students better. We have a lot of them at the centers, but in the Ellensburg campus, they're still a pretty small minority. This is much more of a residential campus for sort of typical um, 18 to 24 year olds. Uh, Our average age among transfer students is 27 though. So we've been meaning to get some um, diaper, um, you know, like just some supplies um, for neo-traditional students in the center as well. Can you talk about that term neo-traditional? Because I know um, lots of folks are trying to find out what terms to use for transfer community and the communities within the community. So talk a little bit about what neo-traditional means to you and why you use it. I use the term because what was non-traditional is becoming more and more the norm. Consequently, neo, um, thinking like the new version of that term, um, feels more appropriate to me. In the state of Washington, one in four students enrolled in higher education is parenting a child. Um, we, again, our average age of our transfer students is 27. So um, it's it's a combination of, I think, you know, what I the literature probably defines it, but in my world, there's students that are parents, students that are older than 25, um, and students that have entered in uh, non-traditional pathways. So for example, maybe they did a GED or they came out, came out of the military or um, industry. Maybe they did an applied associate's degree rather than a transfer degree and are trying to think about ways to finish up that bachelor's degree. We actually, CWU was the first four year in the state of Washington to develop the, uh, some bachelors of applied sciences that build right on the chassis of that um, associate in applied science. Um, so students can do that degree here. 
And it's, I think, a really important pathway for folks who find themselves in an industry where at one point in time, the two-year degree was all they needed. But in order to um, advance professionally, they need a bachelor's degree. But looking at traditional BA and BS degrees, they have to go back maybe and do foreign language. And they're now in their you know, 30s or 40s. <laughs> and um, some of the things they just, that just doesn't make sense for them. So we have um, some of those programs. I'm sorry, I forgot what your question was. I got so excited there. No, it was just about the term neo-traditional. So, right. you know, we're always looking for, you know, I know folks in, in this realm with transfer, because a lot of a lot of um, transfer centers are working with similar communities as you are. Just yes. students who are older or coming back to their educational journey after pursuing other life pursuits and goals. Um, right. And uh, they are, you know, their educational journeys look different. And um, they're, I, you know, I used to claim non-traditional when I was a non-traditional student because I was on the 20-year plan like Angie, except I didn't do it with four children. So gosh knows how in the world she uh, she is uh, accomplishing that. So kudos to her. But um, when, you know, I sort of claimed it because it was one of those, you know, non-traditional. So no one likes the word or people weren't liking the word. So I was like, fine, we're going to claim it and we're going to proudly right. be. Right. But now, yeah, but that was, that was years ago. Now what we're doing, we're like, there's different terms for it, right? No one, no one really wants to use the term like older students or adult students. So neo-traditional, post-traditional, mm-hmm. other, other ways of talking about what, what a student looks like today, right? And right. instead of making assumptions about what students are and what their experience is. And I'd say, I know that you're going, going to get to challenges. I would say that that is a definite challenge for us is thinking about the, the, the ways in which we differentiate services and differentiate populations, because that population, especially here on the Ellensburg campus is pretty small, but like tomorrow we have a craft day from 10 to two, we're making some holiday, we're making holiday slime. And so we're inviting our student parents um, to bring their kiddos in and do something fun in the transfer center and connect to one another, because it can be a pretty isolating experience being on a college campus that still has a traditional, like we have a first year live on requirement, right? Our freshmen live here and we're not in a big city. So finding other students that are also parenting, right? Like we're trying to to serve that population. But one of the other challenges is because the state of Washington has such a, a, a strong program of transfer that a lot of our transfer students spend two years going to the community college, living at home, and then come straight to CWU, their Associate of Arts um, Direct Transfer Agreement, we have an AADTA degree, takes the place of their general education. And with many of our majors, they come in and they do their major in two years. So it works like a two plus two. Um, That population, you know, some of their transition issues is like living away from home for the first time. It's, it's figuring out when and where to, when to do your laundry or how to feed yourself in a way that isn't like chicken nuggets all the time. So <laughs> yeah. um, similar struggles to like a first year traditional student exactly. coming in, living away from home for the first time. I'm so even, glad that you brought that up. Even what we're doing, what we want to do with orientation. I think I've been, I, I think, you know, problematizing sort of, we've got a first year model and we've got a transfer model. And I think that in this day and age, neither one of them works perfectly anymore because we have first year students, quote unquote, first year students that are coming in with an associate's degree that they earned while in high school, increasing numbers of those here in the state of Washington. 
who have transfer credit questions that are very much like their transfer peers and yet have transitional life skills and developmental issues that are much more like a first year student. So that's broader. And then our transfer population, some of them are like first years in some of the questions they're asking. And yet some of them are, you know, 40 and not asking those questions at all. So I keep saying differentiation, differentiation, differentiation. That's one of my key themes these days. I love it. We struggled with that at UCLA when we we created the Transfer Student Center sort of in conjunction with the Veteran Resource Center that's right next door because most of our veteran students are transfers. Most of our parenting students were transfers. Most students who come in over 25 were transfers. Not that many unless they're independently wealthy or they have the time come in, you know, in a four-year path. But we found exactly what you found is that just because we're having a transfer event <laughs> doesn't mean that transfer. Event. And even though everybody's over 25, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, sometimes we do happy hours and we get everybody who's over 25 together, the veterans, the parenting students, the st- people who are commuters without kids and not married or whatever. And they'd have a great time because it's shared experience of just being older in college. But then often, you know, the parenting students just wanted to connect with other parenting students and the veterans have their veteran identity that's incredibly strong and powerful and important. So we we found that we ended up having to do um, we did a supplement orientation um, called transfer transitions or non-trad transitions or neo-traditional transitions. And basically we'd start them all together so they could get to know the other students over 25 in the varying communities within the community. But then we'd split them up and we, you know, the veteran center would take the veterans and the parenting program would take the student parents and um, the older transfers would come with the transfer center and some of our mentors who were over 25 so that they could have that individual this is my experience with this other part of my sense, my life experience and my sense of identity, if it's part of my identity. Um, and well, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, we did the uh, a neo-traditional um, welcome for the first time this fall and we started them, it was via Zoom. Um, we started them all together and had some icebreakers together. And then we covered all of the university-wide resources together. But then we broke out regionally because, again, we've got students that are that are north and south of Seattle. We've got students that are further east from here. And um, we covered resources that were um, location based, whether it was parking services, transportation, daycare, parks, um, you know, all of those. Oh, healthcare was a big one. We wanted to make sure that we highlighted, um, you know, free and reduced um, healthcare options for, for folks. So. Yeah, it was a good model. I think we'll do it again um, this year and then this next fall. Whether to do it every single quarter, we just have smaller populations than in our other quarters as well. Yeah. Anyway. And it's a lot to do it every quarter. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a lot. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. I'm really glad that we talked about that. So in that vein of, of uh, conversation, resources in the center. So you've talked a little bit about the practicals of the center what it looks like, how it's organized, that you now have a lounge area and you've moved the offices out and you have some printing and some computer uh, space for students. Where is the center on campus? Where is it situated on campus? And what's the sort of vibe day to day? And I want to get to one of the biggest challenges, which is you open during a pandemic. So have you shifted now to in-person? How are you balancing those things? So maybe start with some of the resources you offer and the practicals, and then we'll, we'll get to the other challenges. 
So I would start by saying that the foundational documents for the transfer center here were very clear that we were laid out to support students in three phases, the preparation stage, the transition stage, and the progression stage. And I would say that right now in terms of our um, person hours, uh, probably 60% of our time is actually spent with students that are not yet admitted, um, providing pre-transfer advising. Um, or some sort of connection, like conduit to other units on off on campus because they don't know where else to start. The physical space is in Bullion Hall, which is our student services hub. So downstairs we have registrar, financial aid, testing services. Upstairs we have exploratory advising, career services, veteran services, trio, SSS, camp, admissions, um, and the transfer center and the dean's office. Um, it is not, though, in the student union building, which is two buildings away. And I will say that that's been one of the challenges, both pandemic and just um, the, the great idea, the student services building, all these offices got located here again, also sort of right before the pandemic. And so our campus, we're, I mean, we're back to in-person classes our residence halls are back to, to housing, but, but the numbers are down and it feels pretty quiet on campus a lot of the time. And so the lounge has been a quiet space. It's, it would be louder if we were over in the Cirque, but for some students, maybe that's preferable. We did, so the pandemic, we hosted online Zoom coffee hours. We tried them different days of the week. They were frequently small numbers of people that would come. Um, we worked on both and we have a newsletter that goes out um, and initially the idea was that it was going to go out to just first and quarter, second quarter transfer students, um, regardless of major, regardless of location. And that once they were here a couple quarters, they probably would be connected to their own meaningful resources, whether it's major or club or um, student job or something. Um, but what we decided to do during the pandemic was we just continued sending out to everybody who was admitted during a, a COVID impacted quarter. And I think that has made an impact. I mean, our um, fall to fall retention rate for transfer students actually was up in the fall of 2020 compared to the fall of 2019. So that was our pandemic fall, right? Like we, we really, we engaged those students. We added Signalvine, which is a texting platform. And we have also added the ability to, to now text students, which we do sometimes individually. I'm very guard, guarded about when I will text a whole group of what is 40% of our population, right? <laughs> like, I know- So you're in charge of that text, like for transfers, that's, un, that's you. Mm -hmm. wow, that and is so, a, a lot of responsibility. So from my perspective, if it's not super important, it doesn't go out via text because I don't want them, they can disengage, right? They can choose to um, block that number and I don't want them to do that. So, um, but we did like a welcome to fall quarter um, and here's our donut event, um, you know, stop by. We, that one just went to Ellensburg campus, obviously. Um, so, so we added the texting app as well. And that, that was part of a university-wide effort. It wasn't just my purchase. The registrar's office actually uh, um, purchased it and Financial Aid Exploratory Advising Transfer Center and Veteran Center, I think, are the folks who can use it so far. It's gradually getting rolled out elsewhere. But you do, you have to, as a campus, start to develop some guidelines for, um, like, if you start texting them every week, they're not going to, they're going to stop paying attention. So... That was our big problem with emails is they get so many emails from UCLA. They're like, no, and they never read any of them because you're like, oh, I got another email. So I understand that. But I do love the idea of it, this immediate, especially during the pandemic. I was wondering how that was for you. 
because you you're not going to see them necessarily face to face and maybe they're coming in you know did you do drop in hours or office hours or any type of appointment zoom appointment oh absolutely things? yeah okay. all of, so we used bookings um and we moved all of our mentoring appointments and outreach appointments to zoom um or telephone if they wanted right like so uh, so we still were operating remotely and what we've learned in the transition back in fall quarter is that we really need a mix um, and so our winter quarter schedule of events, we're planning basically some sort of activity every week, whether it's financial aid is coming in to do a workshop that's geared more towards students that are thinking about satisfactory academic progress, maximum tam- time frame, um, and things like we're going to do a Taco Tuesday dining night in the dining hall. Um, but we need to have s- some mix of things that are both academic and career related. When we polled, we polled our students in the spring of 2020. Uh, and that was included students that were coming in summer or fall about what kinds of programming they wanted to see us build. Um, the things that pulled higher were definitely things that were sort of career and major related. And yet the community building ones were also important. So we did, uh, we did a, hi- a group hike. In the fall, um, we did. Uh, we tried to do a, th- a theme dining night during homecoming, but the, the dining services has had such a hard time hiring student staff. This is a national problem. So they were like, "We'd love to do this for you, but this particular week with homecoming, there was just too much going on." So we're going to do that Taco Tuesday this quarter instead. I love it. I love it. So, uh, future goals for the center. Where where are you going? Where are you hoping to progress? Are there next steps? It sounds like some sort of hybrid, you know, with you know mm-hmm. keeping it kind of the way it is. But uh, are there other future plans? Do you have a budget to support the future? It sounds like there's been a commitment from the university, but well, always need to check that. <laughs> that's been a challenge. The budget. Uh, the budget. The promise that was made was basically uh, uh, three years of funding from the provost office. And the um, I've submitted an application to become base funded last um, year. And there's, we've got a whole um, a sort of a big effort toward transparency. And so they actually polled the entire commu- campus community on what projects to fund. And we were the second highest rated um, funding proposal. Um, but we, what? we that's amazing. <laughs> I know we haven't gotten it. It hasn't come through. Um, so funding continues to be, I, I'm actually assured by, we have a new president um, who also came from a really transfer friendly institution, um, a relatively new um, provost who was herself a transfer student, you know, enrollment management is definitely on board. So I'm confident that we're going to continue to be funded. I'm not worried about the three year timeline, but right now we still haven't brought it to fruition. For the future, one of the things, uh, you know, the transfer experience team has been great, but I really want to develop a transfer advocacy program. So it's sort of a transfer champion program on campus that um, that allows faculty and staff to display something um, that talks about, you know, them being some through some sort of training and provide ongoing support that way for folks on campus. Um, I think we need to really, um, we also, oh, the other thing we proposed in the first year was a transfer tuition waiver for students that are Pell eligible, but whose Pell didn't cover the full amount of their, um, of their education, of their tuition. And so I think we're following that group and we're collecting data. Um, it looks like from a retention or a recruitment perspective, 
having the full amount of tuition covered absolutely made a difference. When we compare that group of students to students that didn't get that, get that, because we did that just with students coming from our, our colos, our co-located colleges. So we have a natural born com comparison group, a control group with the other 34 community colleges that don't have a co-located. It's 28 and six is what it is. So we've got a, a control group. We're keeping very careful data uh, on the outreach efforts that we're doing with our transfer outreach and onboarding counselor. To, to try to make the point that those visits make a difference, that the pre-transfer advising makes a difference. So we have, again, a natural control group in the colleges she's not visiting, um, because my goal is to eventually have a counselor that is focused on the west side of the state. There's, sorry, state of Washington, Cascade Mountains, west side is on the, the water side of the mountains and the east side is not. Um, so yeah, to have two um, instead of just one. So those are all some of our goals and can, to continue sort of developing the onboarding materials and support for the peer ambassadors. Um, but that's gonna be, I think, a Dean of Student Success wide initiative where we recognize that we have peer employees in tutoring, we have peer employees in advising, like to sort of get those peer ambassadors in, or peer advisors together and thinking and talking about some common sets of knowledge. So I would imagine that is a common conversation that's happening at institutions right now, because I know we had a transfer specific peer mentor program. And then, yes, you're right. The writing center had them and college academic counseling had them and the career center had them. Now the advantage that the challenge you're going to run into is that same thing, right? Like a transfer specific or an, a neo-traditional student specific mentor is different than, and you'll probably get this feedback or probably have, I see you smiling uh, from neo-traditional students of, well, my peer was like 18 and I'm like, 30, like what, you know, it's just that, that kind of differentiation of the experience again. And how do we do that as a collective and as the institution in terms of training and pairing and matching? Um, Cause I know we were, we were having that conversation and we at the transfer center at the time felt really strongly at UCLA, just like we need our transfer specific peer mentor program for the moment. But I do think there's areas where we could have that transfer advocacy campus-wide and be onboarding and training folks uh, in a more intentional way uh, throughout the, the institution. So mm, interesting. Okay. Just to wrap up, is there anything else that you want to share that you haven't had the opportunity to share yet or a top tip for anybody out there listening who wants to build a center and is not sure how, where to go or how to get started? Yeah, well, you know, it's just part of my outlook on life, but the, there's that assuming positive intent and assuming that when people aren't advocating for transfers, it may simply be because they don't know. Um, they don't know the challenges that they face. They don't realize how big the um, how big the transfer student population is or how important it is in a day of in a period of declining enrollments nationally. Every student is a treasured student. <laughs> I, and I would say that one of the things I did a NIST pre-conference with Kim Morton from Appalachian State. And uh, that that data infographic, it is now part of my, like we do one every, every September, I have to have it. It goes out to every department chair um, and is something that I probably send out to different folks. I don't know how many times a month I send that infographic out when I'm, I'm asking for something or providing context to something just to remind folks how, how important the transfer population is. That visual is vital. I'm going to link to to that blog and that I think they even might have done a webinar on it. Um, if not, 
Transfer Nation might be working with them on one. <laughs> We're working on some of that stuff. So I will link that to this episode as well as Angie's episode so that everybody can hear about Angie's transfer student story at CWU. This has been awesome. And, and I would say the other thing is that if anybody wants to reach out to me, um, please do. I'm happy to, to work with others and to learn from others. Great. That is such an awesome offer. We'll be sure to forward anybody's information to uh, your information to anybody who's interested. So now it is time for our new segment called Hashtag TN Talks. And this is where we actually let the Transfer Nation community know that we're interviewing folks like yourself who are experts at transfer centers at four-year institutions. And we ask them for the questions. Like, what questions do you have for somebody in this position who's doing this right now? And we got a lot of questions. So I want to do a lightning round. We've we've delved into it in this episode. So if anybody's listening and they want to uh, really get into the nitty gritty with Megan's answers, listen to the full episode. But let's go through uh, these questions and just hear her answers. Okay. So what is the biggest challenge you faced in establishing your center's presence during the transition back to in-person instruction? Engagement. Engagement is down. And I felt really bad about it until I started talking to everybody else and everybody else is facing it too. Um, so thinking about ways to engage our students that like in-person, that like online, that maybe think they like it, say they like in-person, but really seem to join us more when we're online. Um, so engagement. What specific services does your transfer center offer? We offer, we assist students in um, the preparation stage, the transition stage and the progression stage. So um, we, and most of that right now has been in the preparation stage. So we're fielding questions from students that are thinking about transferring. Um, they want to do a particular major and they're wondering how to uh, adequately, well, they need pre-transfer advising, essentially. What courses do I take while I'm not yet there, but planning to be there? Um, we also have um, regular communication that goes out to existing students, highlighting events on campus, reminding them of things that we're doing. Um, and we have a wonderful transfer lounge with comfy couches and uh, fridge, microwave, printer, charging station, um, et cetera. We also are working very carefully with um, orientation to think about how do we best orient um, the diverse transfer students that we have, whether by location, by age, by developmental stage. Do you talk with admitted or potential transfer students, which you just sort of answered? But Absolutely. Absolutely. Both. Got yes. it. Mm-hmm. What forms of student outreach? So you just mentioned student communication. So sounds like you use a newsletter, you use texting devices, but uh, any other examples of the types of communications you do with students or use with students? And if you have any data that you can share to support how receptive that communication and outreach was. So our newsletter is currently going out to about 20, 20, 2,465 students weekly. Um, We have a a texting app that we use judiciously, but that goes out to, I was trying to find the number on that. And I'm sorry, it's probably uh, more like 3000 students, but we can also um, slice and dice that by program. Um, So if we're wanting to just text folks at one of our locations, we can. 
Um, we, I say our Facebook and Instagram have been really an important part, especially for students that are trying to find events or things to do. Um, the Facebook went from um, the first year, the first six months, 77 page likes to 168 page likes. Our Instagram currently has 257 followers. Um, and then the website, I built it from scratch, which was really great. It was really, really great to have the opportunity to build that. And so I built it thinking of those three stages as well, preparation, transition, and progression. So there's prospective students, newly admitted students, and current students, and there's different information on each of those. Um, we also host, we do, gosh, how many events? We did 30 different events during National Transfer Student Week this year. And so we recorded all of them. And um, every, so what we've got a NIST, or not a NIST, an NTSW tab on the um, website as well. So students can go watch any of those episodes. But the, I would say the newly admitted tab is the one that we often get the most information about. I think it's just that stage between when students are admitted and when they really start where they have so many questions and that's the, the you know, sort of receptacle, we put a bunch of information. How has transfer enrollment improved since opening the transfer center? If you happen to have data around that. So I know this is for the lightning round for people who didn't see the full podcast. We opened our doors six weeks before the pandemic. So I, I, that's a really hard question to answer. And, you know, enrollment is for the first fall, we actually retained um, over 83% of our, of our fall to fall, the folks who started in the fall before the pandemic and the folks who came back in the fall during the pandemic before the vaccines came available, we had more than 83% uh, that we retained, which is a good number. Um, but overall enrollment, overall applications are down. And in the state community college system, they're down somewhere between 16 and 30%, depending on location. How involved are staff, faculty, and advisors with assisting and supporting the transfer center specifically? You know, I work with partners. Uh, that's one of the things that when I, I love this job and that I feel like this job is made for me is that I actually really love working across um, divisions in the university and breaking down silos. So I feel like I've had a lot of support from admissions. Um, the registrar's office actually is our credentials evaluating team. So we don't evaluate credentials, but they have somebody who comes to my staff meetings once a, once a month. Financial aid, I ask for them to assign a counselor to specifically come and learn more about transfer and then be the sort of liaison to his team. So he comes once a month as well. Um, admissions, of course, we were natural partners with them. So I feel like I have a lot of support. And then my own background, having come from a working in the college and from being a, the failed PhD that I am, um, <laughs> uh, ABD, uh, I just feel like I have, a, have a, a series of strong connections with faculty around campus as well. So it's been, it's been, we, I feel very supportive, supported. What about student involvement in the center? So we have um, our ASCWU has two transfer senators that are paid positions. And they have had a role in like, we meet with them uh, on a regular basis and hear from them. Um, we had, I was looking through this big binder to see, you know, I got hired after they did the big binder. I think there were students on the team that created the report that ended up finding the funds to support the center and the um, staffing for it. Um, but I'm not 100% sure on that. That was before I was part of the puzzle. 
Uh, bonus question from me. Do you have plans to continue the big binder or redo the big binder for uh, the future uh, cohorts and leaders uh, <laughs> coming up in the, uh, in the far future? <laughs> You know, the pandemic has created in me a real aversion to printing anything. And my printer at home was broken the 18 months that I worked there. And so, and I've become a huge advocate. Sorry, there's a no underwriting here, no sponsorship, but um, Microsoft Teams, I'm putting everything in Teams um, in different folders. And so we've got sort of a virtual version of the binder now. Love it. So it doesn't I, all I, just exist in your head. It doesn't all exist in my head. And that way, yeah, the different team members can see different things. Um, you know, we've got a peer mentoring folder. We've got a um, like a data folder. Yeah. Love that. Okay. So this question's from um, a director of a newly established transfer center. So if this is a new transfer center director listening, you probably want to listen to this whole episode. But real quickly... What are the pitfalls you've successfully navigated on your campus? The biggest pitfall, of course, with funding is that I'm still not base funded. I'm still on a um, sort of provisional budget that was established by campus leadership. So, and I, what does face funding mean to you in case people use differently? Oh, base funding. Base funding. Base funding yeah. means that we have a line item of state legislative, state assigned legislative dollars. And I, I don't have that yet. So uh, we get a budget transfer to keep the, the, the lights on, <laughs> but what ones have I navigated? I, I think that initially the, the job description, the PD for this position looked like everything but the kitchen sink. And I was a little bit nervous that everyone thought I was going to solve everything. And um, I think that by trying to keep this transfer experience team, this 28 member university wide team abreast of the data nationally, statewide and at CWU and talking about some of the challenges. I think instead what I've done is, is have them realize that I, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to be able to solve all these problems single-handedly, but that we have to partner to address them. What is something that you know now that you wish you knew at the beginning? I don't have an answer for that. I think that all of it's, everything's been revealed when it needed to be. And, and it's, you know, I could say that I wish I knew a pandemic was going to shut us down. But honestly, there were some really great things that came from that pan pandemic and uh, that would I have done anything differently? It forced my, it, it was so helpful in structuring what I could get accomplished because I felt like there was so much to do at first that it made it so that there was a smaller slice that I could be like, well, here's the things I'm going to work on now. It forced prioritization that was really wonderful. Um, so I don't know. That's an amazing, no, I will tell you though, as a transfer, previous transfer center director, that's an incredible lesson because I like you, whether it was in the job description or not, I wanted to solve all the problems and I was not going to be able, I had to prioritize and I had to think what was going to have the largest impact. And that was, that was tough to do because you want to, you want to fix everything for transfer, but you do have to focus on what's going to have the largest impact at this moment in time for the students who need it the most. But it also sounds like you learned a lot about the nuances of your community and the neo-traditional student transfer community within the community of transfer students and how you could best reach out to them and serve them. And you're still learning about that as, as it goes and, and what the opportunities are. I, the other thing I guess I would say is that I, I learned that if it needs to get done, even if your staff and its resources look real small, 
you just have to keep at it. So we developed, we, we previously as an institution had had something called tap sheets, um, which were really, they were housed by the registrar's office. And if you put yourself in higher ed mindset, you know, the registrar's office has a very catalog focused, credit focused perspective. Well, we wanted to create something that really answered the questions that students were asking more broadly at the time they were contemplating a transfer, which isn't, it is about which credits do I need to take, but it's not only about what credits do I need to take. And it still needs to be brief. The real estate is really, really important on those, on those transfer sheet, sheets. So we created transfer maps. Um, they answer what we, what the University of Washington Center uh, Community College Research Institute says are the, the five most important questions. It's what's it going to cost? How long is it going to take? Who can I contact? What careers can I get? And what should I be taking now? Sort of that, what should I, be? so it took us a year to get, we, we got a committee together and it took us a year to get agreement on what it would be. And I continued to think that the registrar's office should house it because I was nervous that we didn't have the staffing and support to do it. But finally it was just like, it needs to get done. And if, if the registrar's office doesn't want to do it, then we will, we just have to do it. So we currently have about 30 of them published and we're rolling it out to the rest of campus. We started with the largest transfer majors um, first. And now of course we're, we're inviting anybody else who wants to create one. There's a standard format, um, but it's individualizable because the advice you give a student planning to major in psychology is very different from somebody who really needs to start taking a lot more classes prior to transfer if they're doing something like physics or computer science. I love that. And I'm going to link to those because I believe they're on your website, the yeah. program maps, so yeah. that others can see what you're talking about. Because I love that way of organizing it and that you're really intentional about how it's different for each major or each program. So Megan, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time and your expertise. And we can't wait um, to uh, continue learning about the evolution of the CWU Transfer Center as it continues in the years and decades to come. But it's been really great to learn from you. Absolutely. And likewise, you are an inspiration. And um, and truly, uh, I just, uh, I Anything that you do is so excellent. And I just am thrilled to be here and, and, and um, yeah, honored that you asked me. Thank you so much for listening. To continue the transfer conversation, be sure to join the Transfer Nation Facebook group at tinyurl.com slash wearetransfernation. You can also follow us on Instagram at wearetransfernation and on Twitter at transferpride. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at tinyurl.com slash tnationtube. If you have ideas for future episodes of the Transformation videocast and podcast, please email us at wearetransfernation at gmail.com. We can't wait to continue celebrating all things transfer with you. And as always, in Transfer Pride.